let's raise a hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. Oh, I'll raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. Raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. darkness
Strength in the words you 
the presence of the Lord Yes, my heart finds strength In the words you swore Oh, my soul finds rest In the presence of the Lord And my heart finds strength In the words you
finds rest in the presence of the Lord. Yes, my heart finds strength in the words you spoke. Oh, my soul finds rest in the presence of the Lord. Yes, my heart finds strength in the words you spoke. Jesus, 
So my soul fires In the presence of my Lord And my heart will find strength In the words my Father swore Yes, my soul will find rest In the presence of my Lord And our hearts will find strength In the words our Father swore For our hope is Jesus our salvation is Jesus. The Savior of the world is Jesus. It's only Jesus. Father, this morning we worship the name above every name. And that name, Jesus Christ, is greater than the coronavirus. And so, Father, we acknowledge your presence, your salvation, your healing, your deliverance, your protection. You are a covenant-keeping God, and we worship you. And we put our trust in you this morning. And lean not to our own understanding, but in all our ways. We acknowledge you, and you'll direct our pathway. For you said, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. And so, Father, we thank you for your manifested goodness and mercy this day. Father, we thank you, Lord God. Deliverance is on the way. And the greater one resides within us. And so, Father, if you be for us, who can be against us? That is what we declare and decree this day. Jesus Christ, the truth, the life, the living way. We worship you, Lamb of God. And we set our affections on those things above and take our attention, our eyes off of those things that are going on today upon the earth. We put our trust in you this morning. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I was quickened this morning to a scripture, a passage of scripture. I want to read it to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, therefore, do not lose heart. Everyone say that. Therefore, do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. 
For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In the margin of my Bible, it says, because of faith in the future resurrection and because of the present experience of God's renewing power, Paul continues to preach with courage and determination. And that's exactly what we need to do is proclaim the gospel. No matter what's going on around us, you know, the thing is, the world out there doesn't have relationship with Christ. The world out there doesn't have eternal life. There's no hope. But with Jesus Christ and because of the resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection, we have hope. We have life. We have joy. Amen? So it's not gloom and doom, folks. Did you hear me? It's not gloom and doom. God is still on the throne. And we will always win because of Jesus. Amen? I want to remind you that we're giving updates on our email, on our Facebook on the text app if you have that. So if we have updates or things that change as the week progresses, make sure you check in on that occasionally. And as we have anything, we'll be sure and and put that out there. If you've listened to the news this week, and I'm sure you have, there's two things you've heard about the virus and about the stimulus package. And so this week, as I was thinking about the stimulus package and the money that Most Americans will be receiving, I was thinking about how will it be spent and how will it be used. And I started getting questions from people on what did I think about this? Uh, How did I think it should be used? What should we do with it? So I sat down and I wrote out seven things with spiritual, scriptural guidelines. And if you... Every one of those seven things could be a whole message in itself. I'm going to go through them very quickly today. But I wrote down the scriptures that are tied to them, that they're taken from. And if you need one of these, we can you can let us know and we will get you one of those. They are suggestions. I understand that everybody's situation is different. But these are scriptural guidelines. And I'm going to go through them quickly. Last week... We talked about number one, when you, when you receive this stimulus check or any time you have increase, you should tithe. Look up Malachi chapter three. What that is, the tithe is like a spiritual insurance policy. It says that if you do that, the devourer will be rebuked and the windows of heaven are open and you will be blessed. And you don't want to forget that God doesn't do things just to do them. God doesn't do things just because he needs the money. Whenever God tells us to do something, it's because he's giving us a directive for our own good. He wants to work in our lives. In Matthew 6, 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it not only gives you opportunity to be spiritually blessed, it keeps your heart with God, and and it gives God the ability to work in your life and your finances. Number two, sow seed. 
Now in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 10, it talks about giving cheerfully as, as you purpose in your heart. The tithe is 10%, but your offerings is determined by what's in your heart. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. That's between you and God. And the tithe goes to the storehouse, but God gives us the liberty to decide where our, our offerings go, where our seeds go. And you realize when you sow and you give into good soil, that's like your investment. Because it talks about give and I'll give it back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. That's your investment account. The one thing I want to remind you of, when you sow, everybody in Nebraska should get this. When you sow, you should always sow into good soil. Don't just go out and take your seed and throw it out and hope it comes up in a ditch somewhere. Sow into good soil. Sow into ministries that have proven fruit and are, are use their money and finances wisely. It is, and then the other thing it talks about in, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2. He says, Paul says, lay something aside or store it up to give. If you don't have anything immediate on your heart, with every increase, we take a certain amount of that, put it in an envelope, and then when the missionaries here, when the guest speakers here, when there's something God lays on your heart, we have that ability to give and sow into that at the appropriate time. So that's a scriptural thing. Lay up some finances to sow in the future. Number three, with your stimulus check, with the, any increase that you have, pay your necessary bills, be honorable, and feed your kids. It is your responsibility to feed your family. In, in, uh, 1 Timothy 5.8, it says that you need to provide for your household. It's your responsibility. Look that up. And, and I remind you, as you do that, support your local businesses. Support the ones near you. And because that's what keeps our economy rolling here. And our economy affects the other economy. So keep our economy strong. Number four. Once you've done these first three things, tithe, sow, pay your bills, feed your kids, then you need to have an emergency fund. If you don't have an emergency fund, this is a great opportunity to start one. If you do have one, you should continue to fill that. You should have at least three months of what you need in an emergency fund, and you think, oh, that's overwhelming. Well, start where you're at. And add to it. And we have talked about that for years, about how important it is to have an emergency fund. And then last year when the flood came, that became evident because we had an emergency fund and it helped us get through that. And we continue to have an emergency fund and we need to do that. But you need to do that as individuals. And if you don't understand that now, you should be able to get that. At this point in time, you should understand why you need an emergency fund. And you say, well, I live by faith. Yes, we all live by faith. But if you have an emergency fund and you aren't using all your energy on your faith to just survive, you can use your faith to help bless other people and other things. There's always places you can use your faith. Number four, if you have debt 
Work on getting it paid off. This is after you've done the other things. If you have a small debt, say you have a $500 visa debt, and you get this money and you have enough to pay that off, pay pay it off. And then whatever your monthly payment is, say it's $35, then take that $35 and add it to the payment on your other debt and get yourself out of debt. It talks about in... um, let me see, in Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Get your debts paid off. If you have some debts, it's not the end of the world, but you should be working toward not having them so you can be a lender and not a borrower. Okay? God wants you blessed. Number six, Invest. Deuteronomy 28.12 says the Lord will bless all the works of your hands. It seems sometimes the scripture is so, so simple that we get past it. And, and I forgot this on where I told you about laying up a, an emergency fund. In Genesis 41.56, it talks about in a time of famine, Joseph was able to open up the storehouses and keep the people alive. God believes in storehouses. So make sure you get your storehouses full, and then then you can invest. And there are two things here that make it so simple. If you don't have storehouses, it talks repeatedly through scriptures that God will bless your storehouses. If you don't have storehouses, how can he bless them? Okay, and then the other thing it talks about in Deuteronomy 28, 12, the Lord will bless all the work of your hands. And this is really simple too, but it goes over people's heads. He can't bless your storehouses if you don't have them, and he can't bless the work of your hands if you don't do any. And you say, well, I'm out of work right now. Well, yes, maybe so, but there's always work to be done. And 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 once this gets passed, there's going to be plenty of opportunity. If you want to be blessed, get out and work. God blesses the works of our hands. Number seven, always realize that God blesses us with a purpose. He blesses us to be a blessing. Being financially responsible makes you a good steward of what God gives us. You can look up Genesis 12, 2. You can look up Matthew 25, 21, Colossians 3, 23, and 24. And and realize that God doesn't just bless you so you can sit around in a big recliner and eat lots of Twinkies. God blesses us to be a blessing. And we need to have that heart's attitude. God has put us here for a purpose. We have health and we have strength and we have energy. So we need to be able and looking for areas and people that we can be a blessing to. In Matthew twenty-five twenty-one. It tells us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. So as you have increase, as you have finances, as the stimulus check comes, by all means, be faithful over it. Be good stewards over it. God requires that. And then in Colossians 3.23, it says, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. So as you imply these things... As you use wisdom, God lives in you. He gives you the mind of Christ. Use good sense, good 
Use good stewardship and use good judgment. And when you do those things, you're in position to be blessed. If you have offerings here, the ushers will receive those. If you're watching online or listening online, you can can go to our website. And there's an area there where you can donate or sow your finances or you can mail them in. And we appreciate your faithfulness. I don't know what what we're going to be doing. Who knows? But I want you to all to be prepared to receive communion. Amen. You know, even if you have to do it at home, you can do that. So be prepared for that. This morning, I want to uh, start just we're going to kind of unhook from our series on mercy. And we're going to go ahead and start just a two, three week series on the purpose of the cross. The purpose of the cross. And so we're going to ask ourselves a few questions here, and we should be able to answer them after the next few weeks. Number one is, why did God create man? Number two, why did Christ die? Number three, what does the cross represent? Number four, why is the average Christian an enemy to the cross? And then number five, what does spiritual maturity demand. So these are questions we're going to uh, reflect upon in uh, the next few weeks. Now, all of you are aware of I've been involved in with the antique business on the side for, oh my goodness, 30, 35 years plus. And uh, today, things are changing in the, in the antique market. Now there's a uh, a new phase going on, and it's it's called repurposing, repurposing. And they'll take an item that might be old, and they'll take an item that is new, and they combine it. And I came up with this definition of repurpose. It's a blending of the old and new 
using a mixture of parts. A blending of the old and new using a mixture of parts. Now, because I've been involved with with antiques for years, Kathy and I have seen and we've even owned some beautiful pieces. You could come upstairs and see what I have in my office and our home is full of, of the real thing. Everyone say the real thing. I I don't have anything against repurposing unless you take the real thing and you put some new stuff on it and repurpose it. And as far as I'm concerned, it's junk. The younger generation, they don't care. They'll take a beautiful antique and paint it white and repurpose it. You know, I, I don't like that. I want the real thing, not a cheap imitation. Now listen, two Many Christians settle for the suitable. They're satisfied with a repurposed gospel. They're satisfied with a repurposed gospel. They want or desire what suits their needs at the time instead of the entirety of God's truth. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a Burger King drive through where you can have it your way. You go into a bookstore, and I have nothing against, thank God, for good Christian bookstores, and Norfolk has a wonderful Christian bookstore. But you can go in that Christian bookstore. How many subjects do you think are on the shelf? How many different kinds of music? Amen? How many kinds of diets, spiritual diets, can you go for? From diets to depression, there's a myriad of topics that you can choose. And that's what the body of Christ today can get into a ditch because they pick and choose something that that feeds their desire. Their want, what tickles their ears, instead of looking at a heavenly perspective, are the whole counsel of God. So we need to understand the whole purpose of God. If you're going to understand the purpose of, of the cross, you and I need to understand the whole purpose. Everyone say whole purpose of God. Now, Dr. Martin Lloyd said this. He said, there's nothing so likely to lead to error or heresy as to start with the parts rather than the whole. Let me say that once more. There's nothing so likely to lead to error or heresy as to start with the parts rather than the whole. Now, you can turn in your Bibles this morning, if you want to, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I want to read the first five verses. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible because I like the way it it states this scripture. It says, you're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy, They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. 
you're going to find there will be times. We're living in those times, folks, when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. Too many believers are enamored by the parts they're interested in and what meets or satisfies their needs instead of pursuing God's whole purpose for His body. See, people can get into a ditch. People can get into a ditch. You know, I grew up, went through the charismatic movement, you know, in the the late 70s. What a wonderful time God was moving, the Spirit of God was moving. And then there, what was birthed was the faith movement. So I, I, I was a Methodist boy who got saved and filled with the Spirit of God and went to Bible school and heard the message of faith and thanked God for the message of faith. Be a lot of dead people in the church if they didn't have faith. Amen? And, and I heard, you know, that, that faith message. And you can get into a ditch. And I really believe a lot of the people and a lot of ministers in that time got into a ditch because it turned into the teaching on prosperity and how to be successful. And God does want us to prosper. And He wants us to be successful. But there's more than just preaching and teaching about money. Did you hear me? There's more than just teaching on how to be successful in life. Yes, I want to be successful. I want to prosper. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot more. If you look at the heavenly perspective, the whole perspective, God's purpose for the cross, if you're looking at that, then your eyes are going to be off of you. And your eyes are going to be on helping somebody else. Amen? Amen. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you don't need to turn there. Let me read it to you. And here again, I want to read it from the message translation. It states, you'll remember, friends, this is the Apostle Paul, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is, and then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. I like that. That's that's a good way to to look at this. Remember, remember we're talking about the, the purpose of the cross, seeing it from God's perspective, not just self. He says, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches. Is there any of that going on in the body of Christ today? Any Hollywood theatrics going on in the body of Christ today? The Apostle Paul says, I didn't do that to impress you with the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. And dear Lord, I want to keep it plain and simple. I'm just plain and simple, period. Amen? And Paul said this, First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. 
I want to read to you from David Ravenhill's book. You've heard me and I've read from it and quoted from it for years. I've had this book in my library. It's getting worn out. It's just a little paperback book. And it's called and it's entitled, For God's Sake, Grow Up. For God's Sake, Grow Up. It's a call to spiritual maturity. And he says this. I want to read it to you. He says, for many, the local church has become an alternative to the country club. Membership is easily gained through baptism and tithing. Few ever stop to ponder the reason for the church's existence. Content to attend a bare minimum of meetings, these believers settle into apathy and boredom, indifferent to their true purpose, and calling. As if indifference and apathy are not enough to hinder most Christians on the road to maturity, strange doctrines are also blowing all about us. Every year it seems a new seminar superstar arrives center stage with his guaranteed formula for spiritual success, backed with slick advertising, glossy manuals, dynamic personalities, These self-anointed oracles of wisdom convince many immature believers that they at long last have discovered the answer to all believers' spiritual problems. The promised results of such programs are usually short-lived. God, now listen, God never intended the part to replace the whole. If we're going to press on toward maturity, we desperately need to return to rightly dividing the Word of God. Only the whole counsel of God produces whole Christians. Anything less results in spiritual deformity. He says, how desperately we need a new understanding of God's eternal omniscient perspective. The church is being swamped with wave upon wave of popular appealing doctrines. Few want to hear about tribulation, discipline, sacrifice, or suffering. (laughs) Few in the church want to hear messages about tribulation, discipline, sacrifice, or suffering. While the church grows fat, lazy, and indifferent to its real role in the earth... Every year, new advances are seen in the enemy's strategy. Islam continues to forge ahead with its militant zeal for world dominion. Cults increase, preying upon those who, thirsting for enlightenment, are content to drink from polluted springs. That's why it's it's so important especially now in the time, because, you know, I think it's really interesting. I told you last week there's a line being drawn in the sand as far as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned. You and I can either live in fear or we can live in faith. And you can go anywhere. When we were feeding people, handing them their sack lunches last week, you know, a lot of people... You drove up, and the most majority were very appreciative and thanked us for what we were doing, what Orphan Grain Train was doing. That's a good organization. But then there were people with masks, and there were people you could just tell they were nervous, and they were uptight. Amen? And 
I, you know, I don't want to live my life day after day being nervous and uptight. Being afraid of everything. Everything we're dealing with right now, it will pass. Did you hear me? It will pass. Now, God's original purpose for man. I want to go there. And we can ask ourselves two questions concerning this. What was God's original purpose for mankind? What was God's original purpose for mankind? Number two, why did he create you and I in the first place? Was he bored? I don't think so. I want to read these scriptures. There's two here that are really important. You can jot them down or you can turn there. Number one, it's Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. And then number two, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Now let me read these scriptures to you because these scriptures... Answer the two questions. What was God's original purpose for mankind? And why did he create us in the first place? Colossians 1 verse 16 states, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created Through him and for him. Let me say that once more. All things were created, what? Through God and for God. Revelation 4.11, it says, Thou art worthy, this is the King James Version, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they were created. You mean you and I were created by God? Why were we created? For him. Say, I was created for God and for his pleasure. That's right. He is the ultimate creator. And he created you and I for his pleasure. These two verses reveal God's purpose for creating man. We were made for him. We were created for his pleasure and purpose. And I'll tell you what, I I love my heavenly father. I love my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love the Holy Spirit. And if you do, and if you see God as your heavenly Father, then as your heavenly Father puts you on this earth to die of the coronavirus. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus walked the earth. Amen. He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. God, you say, well, why is all this happening? Well, because, go back to the beginning. When man fell in the garden, when man, the original sin, amen? Man died spiritually, and Satan or Lucifer became the God of this world. Our Heavenly Father gets blamed for too much. Negative instead of His mercy, 
His mercy is new every day. His goodness is there. It's available for you to take advantage of. He sent his word and healed them and delivered their lives from destruction, it says in Psalms. He's a good God, a loving Heavenly Father. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. He's the giver of good gifts. So let's not put this on him. Let's put it where it belongs. The enemy. One of the... Scriptures that I've underlined in my Bible. I love this scripture. And it's in Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. It's where Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, was calling all those characters. The fishermen and the tax collectors and the sinners. And it says this, Jesus and he or Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve. Now listen. That they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. The first thing Jesus did, he called those apostles, those disciples to his side because he wanted to be with them. Our Heavenly Father created us for His pleasure because He wants to fellowship with you and I daily. He loves us. Now, I love my boys. One of them's gone. I don't see Caleb that often. But you know, I always look forward to him coming home. Amen? I, I love my boys and I want to spend time with them. Not... Not when they're hungry, because then they need a Snickers bar, and then they, they're kind of grumpy. My, Micah comes home. I told Brad he needs, he needs to give him a Snickers bar before he walks in the house. But, you know, I, it doesn't make any difference. We, we tolerate each other because, you know, we're all characters. Amen. We're all works in progress. But bottom line, I love my boys. And our Heavenly Father loves us. And he created you and I for his pleasure. Now, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to go back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. And I'm going to quote you a scripture because this substantiates what I'm telling you. It says, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. Let me read it to you once more. Then the Lord, who took, who took man? The Lord took the man. Who put him in the garden? The Lord. Who told him to tend it and keep it? The Lord. God's intention for man is this, threefold. Number one, man's submission. The Lord God took man. And, of course, man needed to submit, and he did. Then There's number two, man's location. Where did he put him? He put him specifically in the garden. Number three, then there's man's vocation. What did he call man to do? To cultivate it and keep it. Man was originally under God's authority and placed in the location of God's choice, not man's choice, God's choice. 
and gave him the vocation God intended for him to have to serve his purpose. See, it wasn't all about man, was it? God was the creator, and God told man, you're going to submit, I'm going to put you in the garden, and you're going to tend and keep it. Man was created not only by God, but for God. Say, I was created not only by God, but for God. Well, what happened to man? Got, got any ideas? Everyone say, the fall. Yeah, man blew it, and he tried to blame the woman. And yeah, she was involved. Men are still blaming women today. Amen? Mm-hmm. It's the wife's fault. Well, we know better, don't we? Man was no longer submitted to God's authority. He went where he wanted to go, and he did what he wanted to do. Remember the Tower of Babel? It was their, was their vision. Going to build a tower to heaven. Going to be like God. Well, what happened? That didn't work out, did it? See, sin entered the picture. And then instead of being outward, an outward vision, it became an inward vision. It, it, came, it, it came about that man was only interested in self. Man was only interest, interested in fulfilling their own selfish needs. There's a scripture in Isaiah 53, 6, and it says this. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. See, church, it's not about you. It's not just about your desires, your vision, your plans, and your purposes. When you became a born-again believer, you gave your heart to who? You were bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and you are not your own. You and I are not our own. We should not just be concerned about fulfilling our own desires and needs, but we should be concerned about fulfilling God's agenda. His kingdom come. His will be done. You know, you and I should pray that every day. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Because man is no longer submitted to God's authority, his life is governed by self-interest, and the significance of the cross is misunderstood. Because man is no longer submitted to God's authority, his life is governed by self-interest, and the significance of the cross is misunderstood. The cross is viewed by believers this way, what can I get out of it to meet my need? Should it be that way? No. Uh-uh. Now, I'm going to close here shortly, and but we need to also ask ourselves, why did Christ die? Why did Christ die? And what would be the response to that? What? For our sins. It's that, it's that simple. John the Baptist said in John one twenty nine, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But I want you to know today, God isn't just interested in your sin. You need to think about that. You and I need to reflect on the, on the fact, thank God Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. And He did, He, he bore sin, our sickness, upon the cross. He died spiritually for you and I that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. But I want you to know, God just isn't interested in our sin. He's interested in you fulfilling His plan and purpose. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for my life. And it took me a while to find it, but thank God I found it. That he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Yes, he took care of the sin problem, but there's more. What about the scripture where it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel? See, Americans are, you know, I was, uh, had another preacher helping. He was a Lutheran, retired Lutheran pastor, and we were talking, and we were talking about how. The American church is so lazy, so selfish, so concerned about their sack lunch. And it shouldn't be that way, should it? Romans 14, verse 7 says, For none of us live to ourselves, and no one dies to ourselves. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether in we live or die, we are the Lord. Say, I am the Lord's. So, you know, when you think about it, should you uh, submit to God if you are the Lord's? Should you... Um, Allow God to tell you where to go? Should you and I do what he's called us to do? Yeah. Because we are the Lord's. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. The Message Bible says it this way. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again. So that he could be our master. Say the word master. So that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death. Christ's death on the cross was not just for our sin, but to once again establish his lordship over our lives. To once again establish his lordship over our lives. Do you agree with that? See, today I would ask you, if you're listening here, if you're listening online or whatever, is Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? And if he is, thank God. If you have made him as Jesus your Lord and Savior, he's taking care of the sin problem. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. 
But I want you to know you need to and I need to live my life every day submitted to that lordship, doing what he's called us to do, going where he would have us to go, saying what he would have us to say, thinking what he would have us to think, his word. Do you believe that? Stand to your feet this morning. As we come into Palm Sunday and Easter, yes, I want you to reflect on the fact that Jesus Christ became sin, who knew no sin, that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. I want you to be thankful that your sins have been forgiven. But God the Father just isn't interested in your sins. He's interested in lordship over your life. And you need to, and I need to ask ourselves, yes, he is Savior, but is he Lord of my life? I would suggest if if right now you're in fear and you're anxious about this virus thing, you need to get in the Word and reflect that he dealt with the sin problem and the sickness and disease. And he's called you to be an overcomer. There are people out there that truly need help. But if you're a born-again, spirit-filled believer and you're afraid to leave the house, shame on you. You leave the house, get your toilet paper, and you run right home. That's, that's a travesty. That's terrible. That is no witness. If you're going through the drive-thru for free food and you don't need it, shame on you. There are people out there that truly need it. We had a lot of elderly people come through that drive-thru, and God bless them. They need it. It's time for us, the church, to grow up spiritually. It's time for us, the church, to start being the church. Do you believe that? I do. Now, whatever you need today, spirit, soul, or body, physically, financially, emotionally, I want you to know our covenant-keeping Heavenly Father will meet that need. Father, I pray today for your people. I pray today. Lord God, I take authority over the spirit of fear and timidity and cowardice. And I proclaim the body of Christ. The believers of Harvest Church are bold as a lion. I thank you, Father. You've not given them a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound, disciplined mind. Father, I pray that this week, yes, they'll be thankful, Lord, for, for you taking care of the sin problem through the, through the cru- crucifixion of your son, Jesus. But I pray they begin to ask themselves, why am I here? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Use me, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord. You've called us to be overcomers in this life. And I call the people of Harvest Church, the body of believers, overcomers. I declare and decree today that they are prospering that they are in health and their souls are prospering. 
And Lord God, their steps are ordered of you daily. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, because they are led by the Spirit of God. They're the sons and daughters of Almighty God. I declare the eternal God is their refuge, and he shall thrust out the coronavirus before them. The Lord will bless the righteous at Harvest Church, and with favor you will surround them as with a shield. I declare today, how great is your goodness, Father, which you've laid up for the people of Harvest Church that fear you, that put their trust in you. They shall hide in the secret place of your presence, and you shall keep them secretly in a pavilion. I declare the angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him and deliver them. I declare today that God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in time of trouble. And Lord Psalm 91, I speak it over your people today because you have made the Lord, which is your refuge, even the most high your habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, nor shall any plague come nigh your dwelling, for he gives his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. Father, the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth even forevermore. So thank you, Lord God. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God raises up a standard. So that standard of protection surrounds the people. I pray today, Lord, in our community and those in, in, in the state of Nebraska and even those people that are, have, been, have contracted that virus, I declare and decree Jesus Christ has redeemed them from the curse of the law. And the coronavirus is a curse of the law. Being made a curse for them. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon them through Jesus Christ. That they might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we're blessed today spiritually. We're blessed today physically. We're blessed today financially. And I pray, Lord God, that, that your hand, the healing touch of God will come upon all those with this virus. I specifically pray for David Thielen and his family in Portland, Oregon. I bind up that virus and I loose a speedy supernatural recovery for that family. Thank you, Father, for your mercy for the Thielen family. May their eyes be upon you in this hour, in Jesus' name. Everyone raise your hands. Say, thank you, Father, for salvation. Thank you, Father. You've redeemed me from sin and sickness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're my master. You're my Lord. Use me this week. I'm a willing, yielded vessel for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, you're blessed. Before you go today, wish Pastor Brad happy birthday. Yeah, uh, Nate and Amy had a baby girl. Is it Shiloh? Seven pounds, 
12 ounces, and uh, they were in Omaha, and she had a C-section, and they're doing well. And so uh, there's a lot to think and reflect upon other than this virus. Amen. Do that this week. We'll see you Wednesday night for prayer. God bless you. Thank you.